Okay, well, please keep your Bibles open. We'll pretty much go through that whole passage, those 16 verses. I'm going to pray again. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this familiar passage, we pray that you'll make it unfamiliar to us, that you'll convict our hearts again to help us see what we are meant to learn about you and your character and also about us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, do you ever think this? Do you ever think, I know better? I know better. Now, what I mean by this is not this, I know better than my parents because I dress better than them and I dress fashionable, or I know better than my friends because I drive manual and they don't, I know better than... Not, not that. What I mean by this is, do you ever think this? I know better than God. I know better than God. If I were God, I would do things differently. I would do things extremely differently. I would end order poverty in the world, end order pain and suffering in the world, end order wars. And for everyone who does wrong, I'll strike them down on the spot. I'll send lightning and kill them on the spot. The murderers, the rapists, the corrupt politicians, the drug dealers, strike them down on the spot if I were God. And I will make all the Christians in the world, those who belong to me, I'll make them rock stars. They'll enjoy wealth, and prosperity, and health, and good looks, and everything they desire in this world. Do you ever think that? I know better than God. I know how to run this world. I know what to do. Well, maybe not, or maybe you have. But whether you have or not thought this way, there is one guy who did, and that is the guy we're looking at, the prophet Jonah, the man of God. And so as we consider this book, this prophet Jonah, I want us to be thinking. It's a very popular story, isn't it? It's perhaps one of my favourite childhood story. There's adventure, there's intrigue, there's a twist, there's this big fish that swallows a guy. It's an excellent story. It's caught a masterpiece uh, of rhetoric. What do you think? What is this story about? It's an excellent story, but is it just a story? Is this just a story? What is it about? Well, we see a guy by the name of Jonah who thinks he knows better than God. And is there more to that? So what we'll do now is as we begin this book, I want to give us sort of the historical context in which this happened. When did it happen? Who was Jonah? Just give us the bearings before we proceed in this passage. So firstly, I want us to give, uh, give us sort of the context, the time frame in which this happened. And so I want to start with the first king of Israel. Now, do you know who the first king of Israel is? King Saul, remember him? The very first king. King Saul ruled for about 40 years. After him quickly came the greatest king who ruled over Israel. That was King David. Okay? And then after him was King Solomon. He reigned for about 40 years as well. Now, Solomon... He was a good king for a while, but then he turned sort of bad. And the reason why he turned bad was he had too many wives to handle. They led him astray. They, they led him to worship false gods. And as a punishment, what God did was the kingdom was divided. God divided, took away half the kingdom from, from Solomon's son. And in 922 BC, so we're about 3,000 years ago, 922 BC, the kingdom was divided into two. You have the southern kingdom, 
that is called Judah, and then you have the northern kingdom called Israel. So this is just to give us our bearings where Jonah fits in. Okay, now the southern kingdom, Judah, that's where you have your Davidic kings. In the northern kingdom, you have all these other kings who were not from the line of David. Now the northern kingdom, pretty much all the kings in the northern kingdom were bad kings. All evil kings all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And in the northern kingdom, actually experienced a fair bit of hardship. Firstly, they were under attack by this neighbouring nation, the one to the north, the Arameans, modern day Syria. But then during this time, after 922, the Assyrians, the capital of Assyria is Nineveh. That's the, that's the city we're looking at in our passage. The Assyrians were gaining power. And about a hundred years before Jonah came, there was a king by the name of this guy, Shalmaneser III. He fought and attacked Israel. And there's this picture here in the British Museum, which shows that he actually uh, got a king of Israel. People think it's King Jehu. King Jehu actually fell prostrate to an Assyrian king and gave tribute to him. So this was about 100 years before Jonah came on the scene. Now the Assyrians, they later did become the superpower and they were in fact known to be this ruthless and brutal nation. Their brutality and cruelty was in in a sense legendary. They were known to impale their enemies on stakes and burn them. They were known to hang the heads of their enemies in the king's garden. They were also known to uh, capture their enemies. And there are pictures here of, of what they did. They actually just ripped their arms off, pulled their ears off, gouged their owls out. So that's a picture of this nation, the Assyrians, of which Nineveh is the capital. They even placed piles of skulls on the path just to warn people to stay away. And so this was the nation that Jonah was commanded to go to. So when Jonah came on the scene, so we come to this timeline again, he came during the reign of Jeroboam II. He came about 760 BC. Now during this period, the Assyrian nation was experiencing a time of weakness So you can actually understand, by the time Jonah came on the scene, you can understand his sort of disgust and hatred for the Ninevites, for the Assyrian nation. Okay, so that sets the historical context. And now we turn to the passage. So let's look at the passage. Well, this letter begins, this book in fact begins like any prophetic revelation. Verse 1, have a look. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And that's what happens when the word goes to any prophet. So the word of Lord went to Nathan, the prophet, who had a word to tell David. He had a word to speak against David. Or the word of the Lord came to Elijah, who had a word against King Ahab. But what's unusual about Jonah, if you have a look here, what's strange here was that Jonah had a word against not his own people, not his own king, It was in fact a word against a foreign nation, against Nineveh, against the Assyrians. This is strange. So look at verse 2. God says to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against them because its wickedness has come up before me. So what did Jonah do? Well, verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish, which is in modern day Spain. And so I'll show you a map. If you can see, Jonah was in Israel. 
And what he did, instead of going up to Nineveh, about 500 miles away, he went down to Joppa. Look at verse 3. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went, the Hebrew word here is he went down again onto the ship and that sailed for Tarshish, 2,000 miles away. He went in the total opposite direction that God sent him. And why did he do that? Well, we're told here in verse 3 that he went to flee from the Lord. Now, what's interesting to note here in verse 3 is the author is suggesting something to us here. He, he not only went down physically to Joppa and then onto the ship, he's suggesting that there's something spiritual happening there too. He's actually going down spiritually as well. He's fleeing from the Lord. Now, you must think, why did Jonah do that? Why would he flee from God? Well, perhaps he was terrified for his life. Now, given the history between Israel and Nineveh, you can understand why he responded the way he did. He's probably thinking, this is crazy stuff, God. You want me to go to this enemy nation, this nation that is ruthless, evil and odious, and you want me to go into the heart of enemy territory? And what do you want me to say, God? Oh, you guys... You're wonderful. God loves you. God will bless you. No, you want me to tell them, you bunch of evil scumbags. You know, he's probably terrified. He's thinking, I don't want to get my arms ripped off. I don't want to get my ears pulled off and my eyes gouged out. He's thinking, this is crazy. And you can imagine that. Just imagine you were given a mission to go to Iraq, perhaps 10 years ago when Saddam Hussein was still around, when he was still a dictator. To go there, not to tell them how nice they are, but to tell them, you wicked bunch of people, and God is against you. Now, you'll be out of your mind to do anything like that. So perhaps Jonah here is just thinking, that's, that's ridiculous, God. I'm not going to do that. I'm terrified and I will not go there. So perhaps fear led him to flee from God. It might be that and it would be understandable if it was that. But you see, it wasn't actually fear that caused him to flee. It was in fact something else. You see, the problem with Jonah was that he actually knew something about God. The problem with Jonah was that he knew that when God asked him to preach judgment, what God was doing was he was also extending mercy. For Jonah to preach judgment to an enemy nation, Jonah knew that God was also extending mercy to them, calling them to repentance. And Jonah really just didn't want any part of it. Now, if, you, if we think about that, that's actually quite different to how we tend to think about you know, judgment and salvation and being saved. We tend to think, if you want someone saved, you go and you tell them a message of good news, of the gospel, of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's grace, of God's sacrifice. You don't go preach judgment to them. You'll scare them away. We often think that, don't we? You see, it's not just the non-Christians who think that. It's the Christians who think, you know, the, the preacher who always preaches about judgment, that's just, the, just using scare tactics, trying to scare us into heaven. But you see, God actually thinks differently here. To preach judgment, for God to call on Jonah, to preach judgment to this enemy state, God was in fact extending mercy to them. To warn of coming danger. To warn that danger is around the corner is in fact the loving thing to do. I want us to think about that. In, in November last year, there was a 35-year-old man who, who was killed by a shark surfing. 
This was uh, in Western Australia, near Gracetown, south of Perth. And after the guy was killed by a shark, the, the council, they put up a sign. They said, sharks, beach closed. They closed the beach. And so when you go to the beach, you're ready for a swim, you see that sign, you're thinking, oh, the council, they're just using scare tactics, aren't they? They're just trying to keep me away from enjoying myself in the beach. You know, they're just trying to scare me away and it's not that, is it? When someone warns of danger, it's actually the responsible thing to do. When someone warns of danger, and when the council does that, they're actually responsible for warning the public of, of possible danger of sharks. Well, take this for example. Just say, you know that there is a bomb in the building and the clock has started, there's 15 minutes left. What do you do? You know there's danger, people are going to die. Do you walk out quietly, pretending you're going, going to the toilets? Of course not, right? If you actually know that there really is a bomb and there's 15 minutes left, you're going to stand up and scream, John, stop talking. Stop preaching. You preach any longer, we're all going to die. Everyone, get out. You see, you're warning. Warning of danger. And to warn of danger, to warn of judgment, it's not using scare tactics if it's true. It's in fact the loving thing to do. And so for God to get Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach judgment to them, God was in fact extending mercy to them. And you see, Jonah knew this. It wasn't because he feared the Ninevites. He in fact did not want God to give the Ninevites a chance. He he thought these guys do not deserve God's mercy. And so he fled from the presence of God. And so let's look at our passage. What hope did he have fleeing from God? But you see, to flee from God, to try to do that, is, it's like trying to flee from air. It's just impossible. Now, there's a reason why he attempted to do that. You see, in the ancient world, they had this belief that the powers of the gods, the powers of the different deities, were limited geographically. And so a god will only have power and influence over the region, over the country in which they were worshipped. And so the Philistine god Dagon, he only had power in Philistine. Or the Assyrian god Asher only had power in, in Assyria. And so when you venture beyond the boundaries, your god no longer has power. So perhaps Jonah was thinking that. But it was silly for him to think that, wasn't he? Because who's the god he worships? It's a god of heaven and earth. You know, he's thinking, if I go far enough, maybe God will just leave me alone. Maybe God will find another prophet. Well, he was silly to think that. Because what happened? Well, let's have a look. How far did he go? No escape from him. Verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. You see, even the seasoned, seafaring sailors were afraid. They knew this was no normal storm. Their life was at risk. And what do you do when your life is at risk? What do you do when you're facing death? Well, you turn to God. And we see this all the time in the movies. When the plane's about to crash, when the ship's about to sink, people just naturally, somehow, turn to God. And that's exactly what the sailors did. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And so as this was happening above deck, the storm, the waves crashing over, people were fearing for their lives. What was Jonah doing? Well, remember how 
Jonah went down to Joppa and then he went down onto the ship. Well, we actually read now that he's gone down again into the lowest part of the ship. He's gone to sleep. You see, again, the, the author here is suggesting something to us. He's not just going down physically, suggesting that he's spiritually going down as well. The lives of everyone aboard was in danger, but he was oblivious to that, oblivious to the plight of everyone on board. He was just too self-absorbed to care. And so what did the captain do? Verse 6, he almost tells him off, how can you sleep? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. You know, just do something. Wake up. Pray with us. Pray for us. But it seems like Jonah just kept quiet, didn't do anything. And so they had to resort to casting lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. No more hiding. They knew you're responsible for this, Jonah. What's going on? And now Jonah, he reveals the truth. He, in a sense, says, it wasn't your God who was responsible for this storm. None of your gods are real. It was my God, the true God. He says in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And upon hearing that, they were terrified. And you can imagine why. Just, just think about it. In the ancient world, you had gods for everything. Anything you can think of, there was a God for that. And so they were probably praying to their God, the God of the harvest or the God of fishing. Or if, you, if they were Philistines, they would be praying to the God Dagon, who was a fertility God. And you just imagine them on the ship crying out to God, crying out to the fertility God, fertility God, help us. How's the fertility God going to help in a storm like that? Give us babies or something. So when they heard Jonah say, this is the God of heaven who made the sea and the land, they were terrified. And so frantically, knowing that they've fallen into the hands of the real God, the powerful God, they pleaded with Jonah. Verse 11, what should we do to you to make the sea come down for us? Now Jonah's response was quite surprising. What could he have done at this point? He knew that the storm was because of him. People were about to die because of him. What could he have done? What would you have done? Well, he could have just gone back to sleep, ignore it all, and knowingly allow the ship to break and for everyone to drown and die. He could have done that. Or he could actually have done something else, and that was he could have turned to God and repented. Lord, I am wrong. Please forgive me. I actually don't know better than you. But allow us now to row back to land and I will do as you have commanded me. I will go to Nineveh. He could have done that, couldn't he? He could have appealed to God. But what did he do instead? You see, this guy, he'd rather die. He'd rather die, he'd rather lose his life than to give the pagan Ninevites a chance of mercy, of receiving mercy, of experiencing God's compassion. And so he's standing his ground. He's, he's still thinking, I know better than you, God. You can't extend mercy to these guys. They don't deserve it. They're wretched pagans. And so in verse 12, he tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, do you notice the ironies in this story? 
What did the pagan sailors do at that point? Well, they, in fact, tried their best to row back to land. They tried all they can. They worked as hard as they could, even though they knew now that Jonah was responsible for the storm. They did all they could to save Jonah. You see, Jonah was the man of God, but he avoided with all his might saving any of those pagan Ninevites. But the irony here is that these pagan sailors did all they could to save him, the man of God. So we see a bit of irony here, some switch around. These pagans were behaving more God-like than Jonah, the man of God. But of course their efforts were futile, they couldn't get back to store, the storm was growing fiercer and fiercer and so they were left with no, no resort but to turn to God. And notice now in verse 14 they actually address God by God's covenant name. They call God Lord. Lord is the word Yahweh, God's name. And so in verse 14, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you please. So something interesting is happening here. You see, these pagan sailors recognise something that Jonah should have known. That God acts as he pleases. God does what he wants and God will use at his all of his creation to do and to fulfil his purposes. And so you see a bit of irony here. The pagan sailors were behaving more like God than the man of God, Jonah. And so in our final verses we read, Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But yet we see another irony here. Jonah was a patriotic, proud Israelite man. He wanted nothing to do with the pagans, wanted nothing to do with the Ninevites. He'd rather die than to preach to them. But we see the irony here. In his very act of disobedience, in his I know better than God attitude, he ended up on a ship with all pagans. He was trying to avoid pagans. He ended up on a ship with pagans. He revealed the true God to these pagans. And the great irony here, he in fact chose to die for them. Die for them that they might live. It's quite an irony, isn't it? His disobedience, his disobedience in fleeing from God led him to die for the very people he wanted dead. Isn't that strange? His disobedience led him to die for the very people he wanted dead. And so you can see here how God works. God works sovereignly, in control of all the affairs of the world. And so we see here the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And so that's why we love this story. It's a great story of an adventure, intrigue and this strange twist. But of course it's not just an interesting story, is it? It's in fact a theological story. Now what that means is that it's a story that teaches us something about God. It teaches us something about the character of God and it also reveals something about ourselves. You see, in this story, Jonah thought, I know better than God. God should start thinking like me. You know, forget those pagans. They don't deserve your mercy. Let them rot. But instead, God wanted Jonah to think, 
you've got it the wrong way round. You know, I'm not to think like you. Rather, you are to start loving like me. You must come to learn that I'm more gracious than you can ever imagine, that I'm more sovereign than you can ever imagine. And that was the lesson for Jonah. He thought he knew better than God, but in in fact he had to learn to love like God. And in a sense, that's the lesson for us as well. What we see in this story is sort of a picture of the world in miniature. Just think about it. Do you think the situation has changed since the time of Jonah? Well, we don't have the great city of Nineveh anymore, a great city with 120,000 people who are about to face God's judgement. We don't have that anymore, do we? But what do we have? We have the great city of Melbourne, four million people who will face God's judgement. We have the great city of Sydney, four and a half million who will face God's judgement. We have the great city of London, eight million. New York, 20 million. Tokyo, 37 million who will all face the judgement of God. And so what we have now is, in a sense, Nineveh on a global scale because the judgement of God is still coming. Now, I wonder whether this concerns us at all. You see, for Jonah, he didn't care. He wanted those pagans to die and rot. He fled from them the other direction. I wonder if this concerns us. It's not just one city. We've got Nineveh on a global scale. And you see, God's judgment, what we learn, it is still coming when Christ returns. And if anything, with the coming of Christ, we actually now see that the judgment is far worse because it's far clearer to us now. Now, in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which was not there yet in the time of Jonah, we actually see there's fire, there's brimstone, there's sulphur, there's a lake with, the, with, with burning sulphur. It's frightening. It's frightening. Eternal separation from God. Now, again, is that scare tactics? If it's true, it's not. And so what has God got us to do as Christians? Well, God has given us this task. In Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Jonah was given a command to reach that one city. We're actually given the command to reach the world. And why? Well, we learn from Jesus, we learn from God, that God does not want anyone to perish but for everyone to come to repentance. In 2 Peter 3, God actually loves to save. God is, in his character, he's one who's merciful and gracious and compassionate. And so what do we do? We saw the story of Nineveh and of Jonah, but we actually have it now on the world scale, on a global scale. What do we do? Well, we can be like Jonah. I think I know better than God. Then to waste my time knowing what the gospel is, sharing the gospel with those I think just don't deserve it. You know, just let them rot, those people in prison. Forget them all. I could be like Jonah. I could flee. I could run away. I could just get self-absorbed with my own things, go down to the lowest part of the ship and go to sleep, self-absorbed with my own problems and issues and I just sleep it off. And all the while, what's happening around us? 
as I go on with my business, while the storm is still raging, people are still perishing. The world might appear that it's going along okay. People are eating and drinking. People are buying and selling. But if we think about it, the situation of the world now is the situation back then in Nineveh. Whether they know it or not, people are perishing, people are dying and God's judgement is still coming. But the good news is, you see, living on this side of the cross of Christ, we not only see that the judgement is coming, we actually now know that God, who loves us so much, sent his very own son to deal with that judgement. You see, in this story, it's a bit like this. Jonah gave up his life, in a sense, and the sailors were saved. But we now know that Jesus really did give up his life on the cross and he calmed the sea, calmed the terror of God's judgment so that all the world who turned to Christ will escape that judgment. And so in this story we might think, like Jonah, I know better than God. I don't. Instead I must, from this story, and see like Jonah, I must learn to love like God. We have Nineveh on a global scale. The world is perishing. And what did the captain say to Jonah? What are you doing sleeping? We're dying. And that's a good reminder to us, isn't it? We go along with our life. The world is perishing. Why are we sleeping? Well, my encouragement for all of us is to remember that this is the plight of everyone around us. But yet we have this great hope to go and make disciples of all nations. Let us pray.